We're going to spend some time now in God's word. This is where we listen to God speak to us. The Bible is God speaking to us. Isn't that incredible? So we're going to listen to him now. Um, We're going to spend some time in two passages, uh, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and they link in incredible ways. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to start. Daniel 7 on page 893. Daniel 7, page 893. Now, we're going to hear a description from Daniel um, about some, a vision he had. We're going to exp- I'll explain it later. So there's some weird stuff going on, okay? some beasts and things. But go with it. All right. We're going to do Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there was before me a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trembled under, underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns. Horns represent power. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being had a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, as God, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, that's our first passage. Now turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. On page 1001. So here we're at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Page 1001. Matthew 28, and we'll read from verse 16. 
Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Dear Lord, we thank you for these two passages and there are many strange things here, hard things, but we trust because this is your word to us. There are good things for us. You have things for us to understand. So please give us a mind of understanding and hearts that are ready to receive what you have to say, that we'll be willing to change and live lives for King Jesus. Amen. Now I've decided that there are some advantages to being British, uh, especially right now in sporting season, right? Because when it comes to sport, uh, because we expect to lose, when we do, it's much less of a letdown, isn't it? I think we have it easier than, say, the Australians in cricket, because if they lose, that's absolutely devastating to them. They just cannot handle I mean, the whole ball-fixing thing... It, I mean, the cricketers who, they, they cheated, the Australian cricketers, they were, they were in tears on national TV. Everyone's saying, you're a national disgrace because they have such high expectations of their sportsmen. If the US lose out in the Olympics, it's like, what is going on? But if we suck at anything, we just go, typical, it's England, isn't it? And that's just like, that's what we say. Though today, we have been pleasantly surprised by some success. Some countries expect to be losers, but the countries that expect to be winners crucify their sportsmen if they lose. What's going on? What are you guys up to? So when as Christians everything seems to go wrong for us, the fall can feel so much greater because we thought we were on the winning side. We've got Jesus. We've got the king of the kingdom. He came announcing the kingdom of God is here and when we became Christians, we were saying, yes, we want in on your kingdom, Jesus. We're going to leave behind heading... uh, towards the defeat of death. Jesus, we're on your team. We're following you to victory, to eternal life, the advance of your kingdom throughout the world as people from every language um, falls down before your throne as we tell them the gospel. Let's go. We're winning. And then we get slammed with defeat. Jesus came healing and performing miracles. This is the kingdom. And yet devastating illness ravages our lives as Christians. And we ask, well, Jesus, what are you up to? You'd think our, our mission would be more successful. Telling people about Jesus is how the kingdom advances. People bow the knee to Jesus and they hope in him. Join the church. That's what Jesus told us to do. Go and make disciples. So why doesn't it seem to work? It does work, but it, it's kind of like trickles rather than the, the floods you might expect from God Almighty, King of the Universe. And so here's our big question for today. What's Jesus up to? What's he up to? You think after two millennia, we'd be in a better position as a church. Better than a third of the world having no access to the gospel, let alone being Christians. You think that our efforts as we try and share the good news with maybe family and friends, that the power of God would be more evident in their lives, would make a bit more headway? 
So Jesus, okay, we get it. You died, you've risen, uh, you've ascended to heaven, and we know you're coming again, but what's going on right now? What's happening in between? What are you up to? Now, there's a time when God's people in the Old Testament ask the same question. What's God up to? And it's this time of Daniel. You see, Israel had been taken off into exile in a, in a land called Babylon. And this was punishment from God because they, they turned against him. They were ripped out of the promised land of Israel. They were wrenched away from God's presence with them in the temple. And then they were under the oppressive rule of foreign kings. Well, hang on a minute. We thought God was God. God, what's this? What are you up to? And think about it, their expectations as as the people of God were pretty high because God had laid out these massive promises to Abraham in the Old Testament that were for them. You're going to be my people, you're going to live in my special place, and you're going to be under my rule. Those are the big promises of the Bible. And everything for the Israelites, their whole identity, their hope, their relationship with God, all hung on those promises. And as far as they could see right now in Babylon, every one of those promises had failed. In what sense were they God's people when they were mixed up with all these other people who worshipped false gods? When the temple was in ruins? In what sense were they living in God's place? They were thousands of miles from the land of Israel, the promised land. As for being under God's rule, well, the iron fist of Babylon had made quite clear whose rule they were under. God, what are you up to? And you get this guy, Daniel, in Babylon, in exile, and God gives him these visions to show Daniel what is going on. And they're wacky visions. And they're also, and maybe you've got a sense of this, they're pretty terrifying visions. There are these beasts which represent these great, powerful rulers, and then they, you have the four beasts, and then they kind of went away because this horn came along, this this horn with eyes and this incredible power and and these these beasts and these horns represented these empires and powers that waged war against god and his people that's that's the key thing to understanding they wage war against god and his people and and it's saying they're going to be brutally oppressed and just after this daniel says to an to an angel can you explain these visions to me because i don't understand them so just flip over the page to um daniel 7:23 page 894, and let's read a bit of one of the explanations of, of, of what these beasts represent and what's going on. So God is saying, Daniel, this is, this is what's, what I'm up to, this is what's happening. <coughs> Daniel 7, verse 23, page 894. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. Get this. He will speak against the Most High, that's God, and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands. For a time, times, and half a time. Now, you don't worry about all the details, but you get, you get the picture. What's God, is, what's God saying is, is, is happening and going to happen? Well, God's people are going to be oppressed. And you're like, well, thanks for the vision, God. 
And that really cheered. That was the pick-me-up we were looking for in exile. God, what are you up to? You're telling me we're going to have more brutal oppression? See, Daniel's time wasn't so different from ours. Where they thought they were on the winning side, but experience was telling them, and even these visions from God was telling them, you're going to lose some more. And we cry out, Jesus, what are you up to? All around the world, your people are brutally oppressed. In Eritrea, Christians are kept in crates in the searing sun. In our lives here, we try and try and share the gospel. We hit brick wall after brick wall. As God's worldwide church, we cry out, God, we're dying down here. The kingdom of God feels like a fiction. It looks like Jesus rose, ascended, checked out. What are you up to? Now, this question of Jesus, what are you up to, is precisely the question we should be asking. I mean, very literally, what is Jesus up to right now? What's he doing? Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's risen, we know he's coming back, but do you know what he's doing right now? And the answer to that question from the Bible is the answer to our fears. It's the answer to our confusion, our feeling of defeat as Christians, especially in our mission as we try and share the gospel with the whole world. We need to really understand what Jesus is up to right now. And we're going to find the answer in these two passages, which are hyperlinked. You know hyperlinks, you get an email and you say, click through here and you click and it takes you to another website. The Bible's full of hyperlinks. You're in one passage and you like click on it and go, woo, it takes me to another part of the Bible. They link. And these two passages, Daniel 7 and Matthew 28, are hyperlinks, okay? So get ready for the mind-blowing Bible hyperlink. So Daniel 7, we're asking, what is God up to? So we've, we've set the scene, we've got the beast, we've got the horns, we've got the powers. And then in verse 9 of Daniel 7, we get the Ancient of Days taking his seat. And this throne that's on fire, it's incredible. And then verse 13 happens. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. We have one, like a son of man, resist the hyperlink to Jesus. We'll get there, okay? But we've got this figure, a son of man, and the the idea of that phrase is, well, this is a human being. This is a man. A man with an awesome ride. He's coming on the clouds of heaven. Okay, he's traveling on the clouds. Where is he riding the clouds to? Not to earth. I think often when we hear that phrase of, We just sung it. He's coming on the clouds. I I have visions of somebody coming down from heaven to earth. It's not what's going on. He is going to heaven to enter the presence of the Ancient of Days. This human is going to heaven into the presence of God on this ride of clouds. And you think, well, as you're going into the presence of the Ancient of Days, be careful, mister. There's a throne of flaming fire. Humans who walk into the presence of God in the Bible tend not to last very long there. So maybe we're expecting a kind of Isaiah experience, if you know that, where he, he's in the presence, he has a vision of the presence of God, and he goes, woe is me, I'm unclean, I'm from a people of unclean lips, and he's terrified. 
Have a look at what happens when he's in the presence of God. Verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This man is given authority, glory, and sovereign power by the Ancient of Days, by God. And we should take a biblical double take. What? God, my glory I do not give to another God, gives his glory to another, to a human. That is unprecedented. You know, God has appointed kings, human kings, throughout the Bible, but this is up another level. This is given divine power. That's our first thing that we see about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is given divine authority. Let's keep going. Verse 14. So he's given authority, glory and sovereign power. Look at what happens. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Here's the second thing that happens to this Son of Man figure. He's worshipped by all nations. Biblical double take. Worshipped? A man? What's rule number one of being a Jew? You shall have no other gods before me. You do not worship a human being. In the book of Revelation, John is with an angel and he falls down before the angel and the angel freaks out and goes, oh, bow down to me. You only, you only worship God. But then God has this son of man in his presence and he gives him permission to be worshipped by all the nations. And don't miss who is worshipping. It is not just the Jews. These nations which have been oppressing God's people, the sworn enemies, all of these nations are now bowing down and worshipping the God of the Israelites. It's very specific. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. It's almost like the language of Hebrew was not enough for God to be worshipped in. He wanted more languages. But they're worshipping the Son of Man. Okay, that's the second thing. So he's given divine authority, he's worshipped by all nations. Third, he's enthroned forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Biblical double take. What? Enthroned? We're in the throne room of the Ancient of Days with this throne of fire, and God gives this man a throne. It's like, and it's a throne which lasts forever. That's a Again, that's very divine sounding. God's throne is the throne that lasts forever. And here we get this throne with this eternal lifetime guarantee. It just ain't going to break. That's an astounding vision. It's pretty baffling. But think about what a comfort this vision would have been to Daniel and to the Israelites. They're crying out, God, what are you up to? God says, what am I up to? I'm going to enthrone forever a man who's been given by me divine authority, who'll be worshipped by all these nations, and who's enthroned forever, and none of these threatening powers can touch him. These terrifying powers that they're feeling against them are matched, more than that, beaten by this man who's given power and authority by God. God's saying, you are on the winning side. It doesn't feel like it, but look, look at what I'm up to. Okay, so that's Daniel. That's Daniel. Are you ready for the hyperlink? Let's go forward to Matthew 28. Please turn there. Remember, no one expects England to do well at anything. Okay, it's easy for us. 
the key for any British sportsman, if you're ever in an interview, is do not talk up your side. I, I, I think that's a good philosophy for life. I set expectations low for people about myself, and then I get to exceed them. So just that's a tip for you in life. Jesus seems to have set expectations for himself very high in Matthew's Gospel. And you begin to wonder, as you approach Matthew 28, whether he's maybe overstretched himself. In Matthew 21, Jesus entered Jerusalem um, as, as the king of Israel, the Messiah on the donkey coming in. The crowds are there, Hosanna, son of David. His disciples are thinking, this is the guy who God has sent to be the one to save us. A week later, it's over. The big kingdom of God, hope, is literally dead and buried. And so you're asking the question, Jesus, what are you up to? The Romans have won. The Jews who have been plotting throughout Matthew's gospel to kill you, they've won. I mean, them aside, it looks like Satan has won. It looks like death has won. We might as well tear up all these Bible promises that have been leading up to a book like Matthew and say, God, it seems to be over. Again, do you see the parallel with Daniel's situation? The beasts have won. God's people have lost. Who knows what God is up to? It looks like the end. But then we get the Marys who see, well, they say they see Jesus alive. And then Jesus says, well, I'm going to meet my disciples in Galilee. And that's where we pick up in 28 verse 16. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they do what he said. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So here we have Jesus' disciples, and they are confronted with a man. A man who, like the figure in Daniel 7, is clearly no ordinary man, but who has been hyperlinking throughout his entire life, calling himself the Son of Man. That's what Jesus calls himself all the time in the Gospels. I'm the Son of Man, the Son of Man. I'm this figure. I'm the Daniel 7 Son of Man. I used to think... But when Jesus said, I'm the son of man, he was kind of uh, hiding his identity. It's like, son of man, that's weird. What does that mean? Why don't you just say son of God all the time? I don't think he was so much hiding his identity as constantly revealing it. Hyperlink, hyperlink. Son of man, son of man, that guy. And you don't get this clearer than in, da- in Matthew 26. Just uh, flick back to Matthew 26, verse 63. Page 997. Jesus, i so clear about the hyperlink here. Back to Daniel 7. He says, um, Matthew 26, verse 63. So uh, Jesus is un- under trial. Jesus remains silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Sound familiar? Jesus is saying totally clearly, I am the Son of Man. So we have the Son of Man, but we have a dead Son of Man. (laughs) He said that, but now he's dead. But now God does for the disciples what he did for Daniel. Daniel had a vision where God was saying, don't worry, Daniel, this is what's going on. The disciples and, and we don't get a vision. We get 
the risen Son of Man standing before them, alive. So we're asking, Jesus, what are you up to? Are you ready to find out? Okay. First thing, verse 18, Jesus, what are you up to? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see the link with Daniel? He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. That was the Son of Man in Daniel. And Jesus says, let me rephrase that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Our question in Daniel 7 was, well, how can a man be given the sovereignty of God? That's not right. Well, it turns out in Jesus that the Son of Man is the God-man. He is the Son of God. The centurion at the foot of the cross had just said, this guy's the Son of God. So God the Father gives to God the Son who has this new kind of title as he's taken on human form. He's lived, he's died, he's finished the mission, he's risen again. He's now the Son of Man and God gives him all authority. Now, it's notable that in Daniel and in Matthew, there's a thing made of the fact that he's given the authority. Did you notice that? He goes into the presence of God, gives him the authority. Jesus said, I've been given authority. Why the emphasis on being given the authority? I think it's because it leaves us then in no doubt that this man really, 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 really has the authority of God. We had a builder come to the door the other day. He was doing some work on a neighbor's window. So he knocked on the door and he wanted to check the dimensions of our windows or something. So Vicky asked him for some ID because it was a little bit random. Now, to prove who he is, he can say, I'm legit, which is what he did. He didn't actually have any ID. He was like, well, I am legitimate. Like, okay. He could have produced ID, which would have been a little bit better. But the most convincing thing would have been for his manager to come down, the manager from our state to come and say, I've given this guy authority. He really is doing a, a job. You can let him in. It's okay. You see, we would, I think, keep having our doubts about this human being, Jesus, if we didn't have God give the Son of Man this human divine authority. This is my guy. He, he is legitimate. I give him the authority. You don't need to doubt it. Even though he's a human, no, he's not. He, he's human and he's the Son of God. I, I'm giving the authority. Don't doubt it. He's done everything to deserve this. I'm giving him the authority. So we can be sure Jesus really has his authority. It's given to him like the Son of Man. Did you notice where his authority is? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority everywhere. At the hospital bedside, where we weep and wonder if Jesus really is king. Jesus has been given divine authority there. In North Korea, where Christians are imprisoned, tortured, and killed, in the prison cells in which Christians are in right now, in that room, Jesus has authority there. In the mission field of your office or wherever it is, where you walk in day after day and perhaps your gospel efforts have just met with disinterest or apathy or even hostility, Jesus has authority there. Do you do know that? In the mission field of 
France with institutionalized secularism, or in Vietnam with political communism and laws that aggressively restrict freedom of worship. In Greece, where it's illegal to evangelize, and we ask Jesus, how is your gospel ever going to advance in these places? Jesus, what are you up to? He replies, what am I up to? I've been given all authority there. He's been given all authority. Let's see what he has next. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, under the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Beginning of verse 19, we have a therefore. You know, the, you might know the mantra. You see a therefore. You've got to ask, what's it there for? Okay? Jesus is saying, well, because of what I've just said, I've got all this authority everywhere over all people. Because of that, therefore, go and tell people about Jesus. Go and tell people about me. Go and make disciples, worshippers, everywhere, amongst everyone. All nations. How can Jesus be so confident that this mission is going to succeed? His authority guarantees it. Otherwise, we'd go around saying to people, become a disciple, follow Jesus, and they'd say, no thanks, and we'd go, well, that's the end of that conversation. That'd be it. There'd be be no hope, no confidence. But that's not it. Jesus walks into the presence of the Ancient of Days. He's given all authority everywhere over all kinds of people, and now he says, because of that authority, now you go and make worshippers of all nations. And did you notice that it happened straight away in verse 17? When they saw him, they worshipped him. It's happening already. They worship him. No, 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 no. Don't worship a man. If you ever spend time with a Jehovah's Witness, as, I, as, as I've done, they will pull out this passage. Or this is one of those strange ones where there's a, no, you, you, he, Jesus can't be the son of God because they're worshiping him. And you don't worship, so he, so, he, so he must be a man. And we saw that in Daniel as well. But you do worship the son of man. He's different. You do worship the Son of Man. And people from every nation, do you remember the language in Daniel? Every language will join in the worship of Jesus. And so it's very strange then that mission, telling people about Jesus, advancing the gospel, can feel most like Jesus has checked out. It it can feel like the conversation with Jesus might go something like this. Okay, guys, go make disciples. Off you go. And I'm going to ascend, so see you later. So off Jesus goes, he ascends. Then Jesus comes back. So, church, how's the disciple-making thing been going? And the disciples say, well, Jesus, actually, it's been really quite tough. We really could have done with some help. It really would have helped to have your backing. And Jesus said, oh, sorry, I thought it was going to be just really straightforward and easy. So I just was hanging out in heaven for a little bit. No, Jesus doesn't send us on this impossible task though it really feels pretty impossible at times. You know, when you try and wrap your head around this command to go to all nations, all nations worshipping, all peoples, all the unreached, the three billion on our planet who will probably live and die without ever hearing the gospel, how can they ever become worshippers of Jesus? Bibles translated into the thousands of languages which don't have Bibles... How can the gospel advance in North Korea? How can it advance in Iran or Afghanistan? Jesus, what are you up to? Jesus says, what am I up to? 
Right now, I'm in the presence of God with all authority. Therefore, get out there. Go and tell people. And with my divine authority, I'm going to save people. You will baptize people. And they will live and obey me. So Globe Church, we had a baptism the other week. We're going to have more. I can guarantee it. There will be more baptisms. How do I know? Because Jesus has the authority to make it happen. As we send out mission workers to the world, the kingdom will advance. What's Jesus up to? Wielding his son of man authority to make more worshippers of all kinds of people. Okay, you ready for the final hyperlink? Verse 20. Verse 20, Jesus finishes with these words to his disciples, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just like the Son of Man in Daniel 7, Jesus says, I am enthroned forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus says, I am with you always. Jesus can't lose. Do you know that? Jesus can't lose. In Daniel's vision, the beasts rage. God's people were brutally oppressed. But God installs this king with this kingdom that you can't even take a little chip out of. And it happened. Babylon passed. Rome was ransacked. The, the empires and powers of our day will fall. They'll become a footnote of history. Oh, North Korea. Yeah, that was a thing once. And whatever you face in your life right now, which is pushing against you as a follower of Jesus, whatever makes you afraid to share the gospel, whatever suffering makes you want to give up, you know that it can't reach up into heaven and touch Jesus' throne. It can't touch his throne. It can never, ever take his presence away from you. What's Jesus up to right now? Right now, what's he doing? He's with you. He's with you. Tomorrow you go to work or study or whatever it is for another week. You try to put Christ on display. He's with you. When you've got to step up and say no, maybe, to being asked to do something that's wrong and you feel like literally you're the only, you are on your own, you're not. He's with you. As me and Vicky think about going to Vietnam, that's um, on the cards for us in a, in a year or so's time, God willing. As we think about that, we have all sorts of fears, all sorts of unknowns. There's a lot we don't know. The, as I think about it, the task of reaching out to a culture where we don't know the language, we don't, under, we don't understand, we're so foreign and different. You know, my language abilities in Vietnam, Vietnamese right now, I can count to ten, I can order a mango smoothie. It's basically it. Then the thought of then trying to share the gospel or be of any use to the church in Vietnam feels so far away. And then there's knowing that there's an enemy who doesn't want the gospel to advance. We feel like we don't know what's going on. But let me tell you, this is really precious. To know what is Jesus doing right now? Well, he has been given Vietnam by God. He has authority over every heart, every, every ruler, every church. And he says, I want to be worshipped. I'm going to be worshipped. And so as you share the gospel, it will advance. And we know he's already there. And he'll be there when we're there, God willing. Let me finish with a story from the Old Testament. Again, 
There's a prophet called Elisha. And he was in a city uh, with his servants. And Elisha's servant woke up um, in the morning, made his morning coffee. I don't know why they had them. And he went outside. And as he looked out over the city walls, he saw something you do not want to see with your morning coffee. The army of the king of Aram with horses and chariots surrounding the city. And this is what he said to Elisha. Oh no, my Lord, what should we do? Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Now what could the servant actually see with his eyes? He could see the enemies, the horses and chariots surrounding the city. It's over. It's done for. God, what are you up to? Open his eyes, Elijah prays. Here's what happened. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. It looked like it, but God hadn't checked out. The flaming armies of God were surrounding them and would protect them. And it may look like it, but Jesus hasn't checked out. He sits on the flaming throne of heaven. Daniel saw. The disciples saw. Do you see? Do you see that the Son of Man has been given this throne? Lord, open our eyes. That we may see not only chariots and horses of heaven, but the risen Son of Man entering the throne room of the Ancient of Days, being given all authority to be worshipped everywhere, everywhere by all kinds of people. Therefore, with that vision, with this afternoon, with our eyes opened, let's go. Let's go and make disciples. Let's go and tell people. Because we're backed by the Son of Man. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord God, we want to pray the prayer of Elisha that you would open your servant's eyes because right now we see so much that discourages us, that confuses us, Lord. For some of us, the the pain and suffering we're going through is so intense. <coughs> that is all we can see. Thank you that your word is like a piercing light that shines through that darkness and says what's really going on. So we praise you, Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, that you are seated on that throne with the Ancient of Days. You have all authority as our risen Savior. You are bringing people into your church all over the world in the most unlikely of places, in North Korea, in Iran, in Eritrea. And we trust here in London too. So please, Lord, as we go out from this place, help us to see what's really going on. Help us to see what you're up to and to live confidently, boldly proclaiming Christ. We pray these things in the name of the Son of Man. Amen.